Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks that in the end with your disciples, you sent them out to be the salt of the earth, the light upon the hill, to proclaim the good news. This morning, help us hear the good news, your good news, so that we might embody it in the world. And it's through your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're beginning a new sermon series. We just got done with a sermon series after Easter uh, about friendship and what it means to be in community, even though we're in um, kind of separated from each other and unable to be together. And, um, and as we're kind of coming back into some sense of reopening, um, I, I just kept hearing throughout the past couple months uh, a common refrain, and I know it comes from my own house uh, especially, and, and that's just, I feel out of rhythm these days. That uh, with COVID-19, with, the, uh, the, with George Floyd and the various people that have come together to proclaim a voice, a, a crying out of those people that feel oppressed that we talked about last week, to so much going on in our world, and our schools are shut down, our jobs are different, everything is sort of out of sorts as it seems. It wasn't the way it was, and, and people find themselves lamenting some sense around the fact that they don't have that sense of rhythm in their lives. Rhythm is an, an important way that we live out each day, whether it's waking in the morning and having your cup of coffee and reading the news, or whether it's gathering together around the dinner table or getting out the door for school, or whatever it is that's part of your rhythm. You, you might be one of those people that is just kind of fly by the seat of your pants and just kind of goes to the next thing uh, and doesn't think about what's next, but I bet that even you have some sense of rhythm, whether it's late at night, start to binge that show that you really like, or whether or not it's spending some time online playing a video game with your friends, or whether it's just reading a book, or maybe all of them, Mahe's laughing over there, um, but, or whether it's just reading a book to your cakey and putting them down for sleep, or whatever that rhythm is for you, I'm imagining it's changed a little bit. And on top of that, we have kind of this announcement that came a few weeks ago about churches being allowed to come back together. Um, that the, the phrase was reopen the churches. Um, but of course, you're here with us. I know the internet's lagging a little bit this morning, so thank you for staying with us. But you're with us, and we're here gathering together. We're going to share Holy Communion together. The church has not closed. The church has, in fact, been open, and we've been participating in various ministries that we've been involved with prior to COVID-19. The difference is, is that we're not here in this space on Sunday mornings together. But the church has been open. Uh, Bishop Grant Hagia, many of you have seen some of the announcements that came out. I sent out a letter. Steve uh, Platt, our church council chair, sent out a letter. And we, we also included the letter of the bishop within that, or Steve did, and talking about the guidelines. And, and the bishop wants to be clear that one of the Methodist foundations is do no harm. We have three general rules. Do no harm, do all the good you can, and participate in the means of grace as much as possible. And, and the first to do no harm is guiding us when we think about what does it mean to gather. And so I know that many of us are excited to be back in this space, and I'm so excited for that to happen, but we want to prayerfully think about when and how that will happen. Church councils meeting after this worship service to talk more about what that looks like for us and some sense of phases and timelines. 
But this morning, we begin this sermon series on rhythm in part because I believe that Sunday morning worship gathering is only a piece of the rhythm that makes up the life of a Christian. In fact, if you think about the disciples and they're ending their time with Jesus here in the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus says to those disciples, Go therefore and make disciples. It's the the Methodist mission statement, go and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. What it means to be Methodist is to go and to go out. But see, the thing is, is that I believe that there are some patterns, some practices, some things that we do that are unique for us. Well, maybe not necessarily unique, but the things that we do together is what makes up a Christian. The practices that we instill, those habits, are our communal identity. See, because I think that when I look at the word make disciples of Jesus Christ, or when I look at go now and make disciples, one of the things that I think that we run into is some of the problem that's created the racial tension within our culture that we see today. It's this idea that we go out into the world and make disciples people, disciples of Jesus Christ. And the question I ask is, what does it mean to be a disciple? For some people, it means to say this sort of prayer, to act this sort of way, to look like me, to do the things that I do, to dress appropriately, to not have tattoos, or whatever that looks like for them particularly, and the various things that they have set up for what it means to be a Christian or not be a Christian. And so when they hear the words, go and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, or Jesus' great commission to all of us to go out into the world, they hear that as an opportunity, as condonement for going out and telling other people what they ought to do, look like, believe, and how they ought to act. But when we see the story of the early church, we see a different picture. Uh, A coupling text that we could have had for this morning is the text that would be after Pentecost, which was just last week, and and it's a text that talks about what they did after Pentecost. That moment when everyone was uh, given the gift to proclaim God's good news story in their own native tongue, and then after that, it talks about how they gathered together and their numbers grew tremendously day by day, it says, and they rhythmed their life eating together, the apostles' teachings, prayer. The things they did was what made them disciples, not necessarily the way they believed. See, uh, there's some fancy words with this if I want to unpack it, and words that we actually included in our Facebook posts and include in other communications, and that's orthodoxy, which means right belief, and orthopraxy, which is right practice. Jesus throughout his life and ministry was clear that it wasn't necessarily about the right belief as much as it was about the right practice. Works towards justice, listening to the voices of the widow, sitting by the woman at the well. These are all things that Jesus does that culturally taboo if you had the right belief and you did the right things accordingly and you had that all set up in your nice pretty box. Jesus disrupted that and changed that with the focus on right practices. 
It's not just about what you believe. In fact, if we want to think about what it is that we're supposed to believe, these orthodox components of our faith, Jesus tends to talk over and over again in parables. And even to the point of his death, his disciples are utterly confused half the time that he talks, if not all the time that he talks. And then after he raises from the dead and has a couple moments with them, he sends them out into the world to proclaim the good news, to make disciples. And that's what the early church did. Early church didn't look the way it looks today where we would gather together on Sunday morning as the main thing that it means to be a Christian. Early church looked like, you know, people kind of rotating around these households that would let travelers and other people in and and they would start to live life together and they would support one another. The Bible talks about them sharing all things in common. And And then the apostle Paul takes this beautiful image of the early church as this extended family that rhythms its life in particular ways and then extends it to people that happen to have different practices. And I know I talk about this a lot, but this image or this way in which the Apostle Paul includes the Gentiles who are different in so many ways, whether it's the attire that they wore, the food that they ate, probably the language they used, all of the things that made them them was different. And for uh, the Jews at the time, it was against God's commandment to live that way. And yet the Apostle Paul has the audacity to go into those communities and to go and proclaim the good news. He took Jesus' compelling, go therefore and make disciples, and does exactly that to the ends of the earth. But what the Apostle Paul doesn't do is go to those communities and tell them, you need to do X, Y, Z, and look in these particular, look like this. In fact, he goes and he says to them, the Galatians, and says, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, slave or free, that we are all one in the body of Christ. Other places, he says, it doesn't matter if you eat meat or you don't eat meat. We're all one in the body of Christ. So when we think about the first rhythm that we want to talk about today, or the rhythms that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about prayer, we're going to talk about caring for our bodies, we're going to talk about fasting, we're going to talk about feasting together, Holy Communion. We're also going to talk about gathering together and serving some of the the practices that have been the fundamentals of what it means to live out our Christian life in the world. But one of the most important, I think, as we set the stage for it, is although we're called to practices shared practices. That doesn't mean we're called to uniformity of practices. And what I mean by that is, although Paul calls the church to be one together, Paul does not call the church to be the same. That Paul calls the church to be the diverse kingdom of God And half of the words that he's written are devoted to the tension around holding that together. The reality that half the people in the room that decided that eating meat was just part of their culture, and then the other half that decided that eating meat went against the first commandment, that there is only one God, because meat at that time was sacrificed to Roman gods, that the tension of being together would be there. 
but that they would find a way to be together even amongst differences. One of the gifts that I had while studying at Duke Divinity School was um, they required everyone, although I happily, after getting to know the professors, required everyone to take uh, black theology courses. Uh, and so I am just so indebted to um, Willie Jennings and J. Cameron Carter, who are the two that I took a, a number of occasions, not just the two classes, but other classes. But I'm just so indebted to their leadership and the ways that they um, help me understand my Christian worldview in light of racial dynamics as well as all sorts of others. But one of the things I, I remember sitting and we were reading Frederick Douglass together in J. Cameron Carter's class, and, um, and he was talking about this sort of dialectic that goes on in some contexts. And then he addressed one of the things that I think is important for us to address when we think about the racial dynamics and how it means for this idea of unity, not uniformity. And he said the idea of being colorblind, right, you know, so that everyone is just the same, has its roots within racial dynamics. And he said, I don't want you to think that I'm just the same as everyone else. I want you to know the ways in which I am uniquely different. And I do not want you to determine my future and my holiness or unholiness accordingly. That because he is a black man that grew up with his stories, he did not want to be seen as just like everyone else. He wanted to be seen as unique with his story intact, and all the things that made him him. But he did not want that to determine what it means for his holiness or unholiness in God's sight. See, one of the calls that we have is to gather around the table together and not to pretend that we're all the same. In fact, one of the things that I found most meaningful when I came here to Kailua UMC is that sometimes churches get really caught up into a debate over traditional and contemporary worship. We get caught up in this debate and people on both sides start saying one is better than the other and they kind of go after each other with that. But I was blessed coming here because this is the first church that I've been a part of that lived into some sense of diversity within the same worship service. And so I'm glad that Carol is with us this morning and able to bring the organ. I'm glad that I have our praise band that's bringing contemporary music. But as uh, Daniel leads us in our various times that we get together and he talks, he says, it's not just about the either or, it's also about how we can come together and create something unique, a third space, a different articulation. And you saw some of that with the song that we brought forth last week from uh, Daniel's mentor. There is a way for us to gather together, to be different, and yet be together. And one of the ways is the way we rhythm our lives, communion being one of them. I'm well aware as a, a beloved friend and mentor at the church in North Carolina, he was a layperson, his name was Don Shaney. I just found out a few weeks ago that he passed away, but he was just a man of just amazing patience. I wish I had Don's patience. And he would tell me about his prayer life. 
And he would explain to me that he would spend, and granted he's retired, but he would spend an hour every day in silence, in centering prayer. And I just said to him, Don, I try to be patient. I can do a little bit of that time, but I cannot do that bit of that time because a, a few minutes into it, my mind just starts going this way, that way. I have to have something to say, something to do, something to listen. I'm coloring, I'm running, I'm doing all sorts of things to keep my mind centered during the prayer. But being silent for an hour is not one of them. He had a different way to pray than me. But prayer is a vital dynamic, a way that we rhythm our lives together. So during this time, during this season, during this series, I don't want us to think about what you have to do or how prayer and fasting and all feasting and all these practices that we do are the same. But how do we do the same practices It's not that we do them in the same way, but we commit ourselves to a rhythm that is shared, a rhythm that is life-giving, a rhythm that ultimately is different and diverse, and that's amazing. Because you know what? The way that you worship might be different than the way that your neighbor chooses. The songs might be different. The words that are proclaimed But together, that diverse expression helps us gather with more beauty and breath and life. And as I was listening to friends and different contexts, responding to George Floyd and all of the uh, people that are wanting their voices to be heard, wanting their lives to matter the same, it's not to be the same but to be at that same table, to have a voice, a visibility, have a difference. And so I invite you during this season not just to go out and proclaim the good news, to make disciples, but to rhythm your life and to learn how others have learned to do the same. to take your understanding of prayer and to talk about that understanding of prayer with someone in a small group or someone at work or someone who's different than you so that your sense of prayer might grow. Don certainly taught me how to do that. He would remind me every Sunday morning because one of my tasks at that church was to call us into a moment of silence during the worship service as my piece of liturgy. He always remind me afterwards and say, Brian, let the silence sit a bit. How do we learn from those who are different than us? Hear their voices see how they live their lives. Proclaim the good news that all are God's children, unique and blessed and particular in all the ways that makes them them. And then learn to share practices together, even when those practices look different than our own.
I invite you to pray with me this morning. Gracious and loving God, we gather this morning even though we're in separate places to gather around your holy table and as we look throughout the world we see a world that has lost a sense of rhythm in some good ways in some tragic ways But out of this loss, we pray that you would help form us together in new ways. With new rhythms of compassion, of empathy, of listening. And then we as Christians might learn during this time as we're trying to go back to some sense of a new normal, we might learn to pattern our lives and those practices that have uh, persisted throughout Christianity throughout the millennia, practices like prayer, practices like fasting, practices like feasting together, all the practices that we're going to go over together, that you would inspire us to some sense of newness. And so we pray for the world in which you created We pray for all the people within it. We pray for your creation, for the beauty that is before our eyes, but then also the potential danger that takes place with the tropical storm, as an example, coming towards the Gulf Coast. Amidst all of it, let us stand in awe and wonder and find ways for us to be involved in caring for all that you've made. And for our nation, we pray. A nation that's crying out for the, the many people that are throughout our nation protesting, that are proclaiming that black lives matter, that they're tired of being treated differently, they're tired of people of color being looked at with skepticism, being threatened for their very lives, and that are proclaiming, I can't breathe, or standing alongside those that do the same. Help us as a nation end racism and all the systems of power that give it fuel. And for our local community in Hawaii, we pray. 
celebrating those. Even here who went down to Ala Moana to proclaim that even here in the middle of the Pacific, we too have a value that black lives matter. And for our many people from all sorts of ethnicities that learn to come together in a sense of community, that we too would explore and interrogate the ways in which, although it might look different, racism still lives in our midst. That we might be involved in eradicating it. And for our local church, we pray. For the ways that we are bound together in mission and ministry. For the prayer requests that we name in our hearts before you. This morning, specifically thinking of Melanie Killam's friend who lost her 30-year-old son. And for Janet Govea's sister, who's in the hospital. Bind us together, O God. Listen to our cries. Let our cries mirror those who cry out to you. And it's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name, that we pray. Amen.